welcome to the Milwaukee Lit Supply Podcast. My name is Ty. The Milwaukee Lit Supply Podcast is a member of the Channel Zero Network. We are recording on the stolen land of Ho-Chunk, Menominee, Potawatomi, and other overlapping tribal groups and identities. I'm recording uh, live from uh, stolen Lenape, um, Delaware, and Erie land. On this podcast, we talk about one of the radical zines from the Lit Supply catalog each month. It is February 2022, and this month we are going to be discussing All Power to the People by Ashanti Alston. This was a zine that includes three essays uh, written by Ashanti that were compiled by the Lit Supply. With me today is Alex, a volunteer who helps run the Lit Supply. And before we get into the zine, Alex, can you please introduce yourself, give us your pronouns, and anything else you would like to share about the work you do? Uh, sure. My name is Alex. Obviously, my pronouns are he, they. Um, I think that the most relevant thing that I can say about like the work that I do, given that I think it's the reason I'm here today, um, is that I'm pretty vociferous, like internationalist organizer. Um, I organize with a group that's based in North America. Two groups actually that are based in North America. One is called the Emergency Committee for Rojava. Um, and so this is a group that is, uh, their, their explicit goal is to organize around uh, issues in, in like Western Kurdistan, so Syrian Kurdistan. Um, and so for people who don't know, this is some history that we're going to get into, but this is a, um, this is an autonomous self-governing structure um, with a really pluralistic, you know, uh, society of people of, I think about around 4 million people um, who uh, organize under a system called uh, democratic confederalism. And so this is very appealing to anarchists the world over um, because it's explicitly like the, the organization of this this direct democracy is explicitly rooted in anarchist American anarchist political theory um, by a philosopher called uh, Murray, Murray Bookchin. And so this was kind of fused with like some history of the, the Kurdistan Workers Party, the PKK, which was like started out as this Marxist Leninist organization in like the 70s, 80s. Um, and the leader of that group was Abdullah Oshalan. Um, Abdullah Ocalan is currently a political prisoner on the island prison of Imrali off the coast of Turkey. Um, and so he's he's kind of the person that people typically credit with like coming up with democratic confederalism um, in these pamphlets and, and books that were kind of snuck out with his lawyers. Um, and so this is kind of like the soil where things took root and there's like all this like incredible women's liberation and you know restorative justice. There's all kinds of really cool shit happening. Um, and then in parallel to that, there's also the history of the Zapatistas, which is in kind of like southeast Mexico in the La Condon jungle. Um, and so that's like right along the border of Chiapas with, uh, with Guatemala. Um, and so those, you know, that history goes back a little bit longer. That started in, in 1994. Um, and so there's, a, there's also a group of kind of like the Mexican diaspora, um, the indigenous Mexican diaspora, who's kind of like spread around North America. Um, they're called Sexta Grietas del Norte, and I'll, I'll share some links for um, both of these organizations, uh, if you want to put it in like the podcast description. Perfect. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Um, I actually also have a second guest here today who uh, we'll, see, we'll hear from a little bit later. Uh, but we chose this zine this month uh, because it is Black History Month, and so we wanted to so sort of go um, into a zine that was written by someone who is sort of part of some of that history in America that uh, we celebrate at this time of year. Um, Alex, you are going to be speaking sort of mostly on the first essay here in the, in the uh, zine. It is called uh, 
nationalism and a bunch of other words that I don't remember. Yeah, nationalism with and without it or something like that. Yeah. yeah look at the table of contents, listeners, and you'll, <laughs> you'll see it. So, um, hopefully you can follow along or you've read the zine uh, prior to the release of this uh, podcast. But if you haven't, do definitely recommend. You can also pause this and go read it, um, you know, essay by essay if you'd like. Okay, so just first question I had was that Ashanti very early on says there are all kinds of nationalisms and there are all kinds of reactions to nationalism. So my first question to you as someone who works with these types of groups that, um, you know, direct democracy groups and things like that who really do have, um, you know, sort of are creating their own space in the world what would you say that nationalism is to these groups? That's a really interesting question. Um, I, so the first thing that I want to say is that these are my words. These are not anybody else's words. Um, and I'm trying to follow one of the Siete Principales, which is uh, the, the kind of seven principles that the Zapatistas organize under. The thing is represent, don't replace. Um, so I'm trying to like represent my understanding of, of, of how people feel about this question um, because it comes up a lot and it's a very good question. So like one of the, I'm going to start with Rojava <clears throat> because I think that like this comes up a lot, <clears throat> especially when you talk to uh, people who are Assadist people. So, so like the geopolitical situation in Syria um, is that the Syrian civil war is about 10 years old. Um, there is this brutal dictator, Bashar, Bashar al-Assad, um, and in the northeast of, of Syria, you know, is, is this kind of Kurdish majority region of, of the country. Um, it's Western Kurdistan. And Kurdistan kind of spans like four different states, um, which is like the whole problem. Um, if you want to like really understand this history, you kind of got to go back to the Sykes-Picot Agreement. This is kind of like what created the modern Middle East or Swana region, which is the preferred term. And that's the term I'm going to be used um, for the rest of this podcast. Swana is an acronym which means Southwest Asia, Northern Africa. And we prefer that term because it kind of decentralizes the importance of Europe. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, so I mentioned that Rojava, this, this Western Kurdistan region, is Kurdish majority, but it's not entirely Kurdish. There is a very strong presence of Kurdish history and culture. Um, that's kind of like where all of this emerged from. Democratic confederalism is very heavily rooted um, in those Kurdish traditions. Um, but there's also Assyrians, there's Syriac people, there's Turkmen, there's all kinds of ethnic like minorities that live across the region. Um, it kind of depends who you talk to um, as to whether Kurds are considered indigenous, but I think that's kind of an academic question, and that's not so relevant to us. Um, but in terms of nationalism, a lot of people will say this is just a Kurdish supremacy. Um, a lot of like detractors, a lot of people who are um, with like the Erdogan regime of up in up in Turkey, mm -hmm. or people who are Assadists, they support Bashar al-Assad, um, will say that this is just a a Kurdish majority or a Kurdish supremacy movement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that do, based on like journalistic you know coverage of of this movement in this region, I am very confident saying that that is not the case. Um, I do not think that it would be accurate to say that this is a Kurdish nationalist movement or anything like that because I would consider nationalism to be a fundamentally right-wing phenomenon mm -hmm. and there is nothing right-wing about this <laughs> there, so so in terms of like nationalism this is a thorny question right because it's tied up with like all kinds of ethnic identities and things like that that i as a white person am not really i don't get i don't get to have a say <laughs> um 
But that being said, like, there's kind of maybe this is this is a good point to return to the Zapatistas and just kind of talk about something else that is one of the Siete Principales, um, which is this idea that they want to make a world where many worlds fit. And that means a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. But I think that in this context, what it means is that there's no one um, there's no one group of people that have any kind of supremacy over the region or any kind of like particular say over governance or lifestyle or anything like that. Um, that there's multiple people who have to coexist. And in coexisting, we shouldn't forget or flush away any of their like ethnic identity or history or anything like that. Um, but we should bring those things into harmony. And there's naturally going to be many points where people don't agree on things because that's just the nature of people. <laughs> um, there's there's always going to be things that I do differently than you, and so that's going to that's going to look violent for whatever reason because of misunderstandings. Um, but the the goal is to like overcome that barrier. Um, they would see it as like a communication barrier, not as anything like fundamentally like non-overcomable. And so I think that like a lot of this comes down to the importance of consensus-based decision-making. Mm. Um, and I think that, like, I've already gone in, like, 17 different directions with this answer. So I want to give you a chance to just kind of take that all in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so, I yeah, I think this essay was the hardest one for me to read because of, like, my understanding and my, like, definition of nationalism um, and I had to sort of set that aside to like hear what Alston was saying. And I think like, yeah, the way I look at nationalism and think about it is that it is a, a negative, negative thing or whatever. Um, and I, and I look at like, I don't know, I, I, so I get, con I get confused about what things are, go things are going on in the world and I, and it's hard to understand like what people's motives are. So like in my trying to relate it to what you were speaking about, like we have um, the junta in Myanmar, Burma area, and there are like thousands of different, or at least hundreds of different um, ethnic groups who are being displaced and have been displaced for many decades, while junta after junta, it takes over the um, their state. And the Karen, people that um uh they they want a, their own state as well and i it's like i so that's sort of where i get confused ashanti talks about um nationalism and statism being two different things and so like in that context with the with the karen i'm like which is which i just get i like don't i they, i end up conflating the two and i think that the way that alston described it is that those two things are different. Um, and yeah, they like the Karen might want their own state, but it, I think it's only in the sense that they have the space to be free and do the things that they would normally do, which aren't aligned with the state that they're currently under. Um, I don't think that they would be creating the same alternative state. They're, the purpose is to exist outside of Western society, um, and I do think that's that's different. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think so. Like Myanmar is kind of like a a blind spot in my paying attention to things because everybody has them, you know. <laughs> um, 
but it's really interesting to hear that because I think that like, so you were talking about, and, and we, they were talking in the zine about uh, statism being different from nationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you were saying that something else from the Zapatistas came, came to mind, which is this, I, this, this really astute like observation and analysis of the nature of power and just kind of talking about like what, what direction it comes from. So like, if you look at power and like where it's flowing from, there's power from the bottom, which like we would broadly consider to be a good thing. Um, and there's power from the top, which we would broadly consider to not be a good thing. As anarchists, that's like the whole thing that we want to get rid of. <laughs> um, so there's like power from below, power from above. There's also power from the left and power from the right, which is a different thing. Um, and like similarly, we, we're, we're on board with power from the left. We're not on board with power from the right. Um, you know, and so where this where this comes into the question of nationalism um, is in like we do not exist in a vacuum. And so there's like certain there's certain identities that have dominated the world and have more power in society than other identities do. And so it's a nuanced thing where you can consider yourself to be part of a nation based on your ethnic identity or, or your your gender or you know any kind of identity that you have. Um, but the nuance is how much power do you exert and how does it flow? Um, so like black nationalism, good. White nationalism. <laughs> No, thank you. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, it's like shit like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's also a quote that I would like to read from Subcomandante Marcos, if, if that would be okay. That's perfect. That'll lead me into our next question. Okay. Um, so for, for those who aren't aware, Subcomandante Marcos is, uh, he's, he's, for a long time, he was the spokesperson for the Zapatistas. Um, he's not their leader because they don't have leaders. But the subcomandantes, they were, uh, they were, they were just kind of like spokespeople for the for the councils, the caracoles. Um, and so they were. Um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get to this. Um, some time ago, in an attempt to discredit one of the Zapatista leaders in southern Mexico, subcomandante Marcos, government officials there tried to put forth the idea that Marcos was gay. In a region where machismo still runs strong, it was hoped that this would tarnish the leader's credibility. He responded by writing a poem, and this is the poem. Yes, Marcos is gay. Marcos is gay in San Francisco, black in South Africa, an Asian in Europe, a Chicano in San, in San Isidro, an anarchist in Spain, a Palestinian in Israel, a Mayan Indian in the streets of San Cristobal, a Jew in Germany, a Gypsy in Poland, a Mohawk in Quebec, a pacifist in Bosnia, a single woman on the metro at 10 p.m., a peasant without land, a gang member in the slums, an unemployed worker, an unhappy student, and, of course, a Zapatista in the mountains. Marcos is all the exploited, marginalized, oppressed minorities resisting and saying, enough. He is every minority who is now beginning to speak, and every majority that must shut up and listen. He is every untolerated group searching for a way to speak. Everything that makes power and the good consciences of those in power uncomfortable, this is Marcos. That is the end of the book. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's... That's awesome. I, I love it. I, I know you've um, sent that to me in the past, and I think it's like um, it's a beautiful way of responding to those accusations or whatever you want to call them. Something that like I and many other people really respond to in this, which is that you know there, there's the Jews come up twice. <laughs> um, they're, they're in in two different contexts, where it's like a Jew in Germany um, and a Palestinian in Israel. This kind of illustrates the point, which is that um, Israel is a state and like it is 
you know, this this is a really nuanced thing. I'm not trying to like I want to be very careful to not say something anti-Semitic because I don't intend that at all. But the, the it's 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 making the point that like in one of these situations, um, the Jews are as a subject of the sentence, right? Um, the power is flowing from below, and in another situation, it's power from flowing from above. And so that is the analysis. Like that is that that I think makes the point of like when nationalism, you know, becomes a problem. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Um, when I when I break it down for myself, at least the like significant yeah. difference in what in what Ashanti describes and like alternative nationalism of identity versus nationalism of marginalized identity versus um, privileged identity. I think that's that's the big di- um, that's the defining factor for me and determines whether or not it's uh something that i can support or not yeah okay moving on so i do i read these zines with my partner and come up with questions and my partner had a specific question i've heard you alex explain this but i wanted to ask the question from the audience here so Um, It appears to Liam that Subcomandante Marcos is a bit of a celebrity in the Zapatista movement. Um, And like the fact that his name or his title, he has a title and it's Subcomandante, it suggests that there is some kind of hierarchy in the Zapatista movement. Do like, would you say that that is a, is a incorrect statement? Is, is there a hierarchy within the Zapatista society? Um, Or especially given that it's surrounded, you know, by Mexican states on all sides. And when we say, when Liam says statehood, that means that it's highly analogous or parallel to nationalism, not in the sense that um, Ashanti is is speaking. Yeah, that's also a really good question. I hadn't thought about it in those those terms before. But I think that, like, yeah, that's that's a really good thing to get into because it's like, you know, I think that a lot of anarchists, especially, um, are really on board with, with, you know, stuff that the Zapatistas are doing because it comes out of the history of alter globalism um, and kind of like the anarchist, like, school of thought in the 90s. Um, but it's also, it also emerges out of like a long history of Marxist-Leninism and just kind of like the history of the Mexican Revolution and Emiliano Zapata and, and like all, all, all of those types of figures. Um it is definitely accurate, I would say, that Subcomandante Marcos uh, enjoys a kind of uh, celebrity status, uh, not just with the Zapatistas, but as like a figurehead for the Zapatistas, like worldwide. You see, like an oddly similar thing happening with Abdullah Ocalan um, over in over in Rojava. Neither one of these, I would, I don't think either either of these figures would would be considered a leader, um, because they don't they don't give out decrees, like they don't they don't make any decisions. I think is like the the key difference. Um, I think that like just living in the world that we live in, it's kind of hard to avoid having things like celebrities. It just kind of like emerges out of, you know, the structures that we, that we have, but that's a cosmetic answer. The, the, the actual gut of like the answer, um, I think comes when you look at how power flows through Chiapas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the, it, it gets into like the structure of like the neighborhood councils, what they call the caracoles. Um, they're called caracoles because I think that's like a Spanish word for shell. Um, and the Zapatistas are very big fans of snails. <laughs> um, the, the, if, if there's like a mascot of the movement, it would be the snail. 
Um, and so the way that this was explained to me, and I'm probably going to butcher this, so I apologize, is that the snail moves very slowly, but with great intentionality, and that's how you build trust with the community. Um, so the caracoles are these community like neighborhood councils, um, and they happen on that level. There's like, you know, a, a, a household has some kind of council structure. Uh, a, a neighborhood of houses has like a neighborhood structure. And then there's like a, a municipal structure. It's, it's like, you know, steps, steps up, but the power flows from below is the main idea. And so these, these caracoles, they're kind of like, they're, they're ongoing structures. Like they don't really end ever. They are councils that anybody can is free to come into and move out of at any time. Um, so, th so the decisions that are being made, everyone in the public is, is free and welcome and encouraged um, to come and weigh in on, the, on these decisions. Um, and it's really crucial that they do that because this is like the goal is to, is to make decisions by consensus, by consensus of everybody in the group. Yeah, so like I think that, um, and I want to read this in Spanish because there's like a nuance to the translation. Um, mandar obedeciendo, um, which I think there's two English translations of. One is lead by obeying. And so uh, another way of saying it is el gobierno obedece, um, because it, it means that the government obeys. Um, we govern with the consent of the government, but that doesn't mean we are a government. <laughs> um, people come to these, these caracoles and they, they, they are part of the decision-making. The people making the decision are the people who live in these neighborhoods. Right. Um, they don't have elected representatives. Um, they have delegates that they send to other neighborhoods, but that's different. Um, so like the, the delegates are representing, they are not deciding. Um, and anytime it becomes necessary to like have somebody in any kind of position of leadership, not authority, um, that position of leadership is not an all-the-time position of leadership. It is temporary. It is very fleeting. It has a very limited scope. Um, you make you're, you're 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 here to do this one thing, and that's it. Um, and then I think the crucial thing for people like us, and especially for Liam, who asked this question, um, is that there's no one body or no one group of people who has a monopoly on the use of violence. Um, whether that's emotional violence or like physical violence or or, or any kind of violence. Um, why that's important is because that's one way to define a state. Um, and so that's how you avoid this situation of one person's will just kind of like overtaking everybody else. Um, and so it's like, you know, if, if somebody does something that you don't like, if, if, you know, Subcomandante Marcos was to come in and say, I'm the leader now, I'm in charge, um, then, you know, the EZLN would, would fucking, <laughs> they would not stand for that shit. Yeah, I, I guess I just had a, like, w was curious, like, why does he even have the title of subcomandante? Like, what is, what drives that? There's a group of people who have that title. Um, there's all kinds of different subcomandantes. And I think that the, um, this might have started um, as, like, because because subcomandante Marcos is not uh, Mayan. So, so, so the indigenous identity that the, the Zapatistas are kind of, like, rooted in. In, in the analogous way to the way that Rojava is rooted in Kurdish history. Um, the Zapatistas are Mayan, mm -hmm. and Marcos is not Mayan. Um, I, don't think, I don't think he would consider himself white, but he's not Mayan. Um, and so the, the reason I think that he has the celebrity that he does is because it's basically running interference. It's protecting the other subcommandantes mm. um, who are Mayan. 
And so it's like it's like because the attention is on him, that means it's not on them, and they can then they can do the work that they're that they're there to do. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's legit. We, I think that's and has that is being utilized in a lot of um, organizing as well. That sort of deflection um, tactic. Yeah, it's. I think I I might be mistaken about this, but I think it's also not his real name. I oh, think it's a. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that all of the subcomandantes, like they always appear in public with like masks mm-hmm. on. Um, that's like one of these iconic images you see of the Zapatistas. Is sure. that they all have like masks on with just their eyes, mm-hmm. like bal- balaclavas. And so like it's, um, I think that it's a, I, I don't think it's his real name. Yeah. Um, uh, so two things. One, yeah, that, I think that's that's a tactic and a strategy that is allows for the work to continue moving, um, especially to put a figurehead up in general who isn't, uh, doesn't control what is going on in the the space. I think that's like a, that's like a big part of, uh, what, what become, what, I don't know, helps to make things successful, at least stay successful for, for a time. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good optics. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah. And that there's, I think there's always going to be criticisms, but those criticisms might um, might just come from a space, a place of lack of knowledge, for instance, of what actually goes down. Sure, but I, I also want to make sure that that it's like people. I think that people would welcome these criticisms. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's really important. Like, like the we don't want to say that these criticisms are invalid because they're coming from you know um, ignorance or whatever. Um, like these, these are valid criticisms. Like any time that we're talking about like a movement that's emerging out of you know the capitalist structure or struggle, um, we don't want to make it seem like one group has the the answer um, because they don't. Um, this is something that works in Chiapas imperfectly, extremely imperfectly. Um, it's been stable for this long, but there's there's threats to their existence today, um, and so we don't want to make it seem like this is this is just a perfect system because it's not. Um, and I think that, like, you know, it's really important to engage with these criticisms. I think that that's a really, like, valid thing to bring up. Well, thank you. Totally. And thank you for also helping to, to give us some insights. I know, I mean, you are not an expert by any means on any of these groups, but your direct involvement in, you know, the ways that you are able to provide support, I think, is is really awesome. And so it's interesting, and I'm interested to hear from your perspective sort of as an outsider how you've how you've sort of understood these group these two two groups in particular to to function um the other thing that i or a thing that you mentioned that i wanted to sort of elaborate on was oh god let's see if i can remember oh okay so in the i concept of direct democracy and that there are delegates uh you know who who represent the the people i i think that's yeah like a i don't know a lot about direct democracy i read one uh book that cut, sort of like outlines how it could be how that could be employed and it it was specifically written for the philippines in by a, a filipino uh person anarchist but um so i so i like understand it from that perspective uh to to that's like the most important part of of direct democracy is that those people are from the community and not just that they have like an address in the zip code but like actually um represent and are 
someone who is trusted in among the people in that community and then um, that they don't make any decisions whatsoever or any choices. Their choices are only or the, their job is only to um, relay the decisions or the choices that the community they represent desire. Yeah, and, 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 and maybe to moderate discussion. Okay, okay. And then, um, and thirdly, I think the point that, um, and I guess I'll, I guess I can plug it. The the book is um, Pangaya. You can get it from oh god, AK Press or PM Press. And um, so what he points out is that the like really the most important part is to prevent future uh, corruption sort of move. So those those representatives or delegates will would not be paid um any kind of live you know they, that wouldn't be their main source of income for instance they wouldn't have wages for instance like we have in the u.s where our our senators who represent our state in congress are paid like upwards of hundred fifty thousand dollars a year um to do that you know i think that that's an important part like the the dollars and the the draw of having both power and money from a position of, uh, as a representative um those the lack of that is like essential to me to direct democracy do you know if you know do representatives get paid either in rojava or um the zapatistas um that's a really good question that i don't know the answer to i think that it's no but i don't I don't specifically know, um, but I think. Do they utilize money even? Yes, because we live in the world that we live in. Yes, we we they they definitely utilize money. Um, like one of the one of the things that people have have criticized Rojava rightly uh, for is is the way that they um, they still sell oil um, to like Western Western actors because they're they're in Swana and they're that's what that's what you do, um, and like. But 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 like it's 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 really messy because it's the Syrian civil war and like there's no good guys there's no good there's no good choice there you know it is a nightmarish circumstance um, it's an impossible choice made under nightmarish circumstances and so it's just like um, yeah you could like you know stick to your guns and just not sell oil to people but you'll die like you will you will you will choke the movement if you do that because like one of the things that you can say for the Kurds is that they are very good at optics. Um, they're really good at drumming up international support. They have like all kinds, they're very active on social media. They're very active on all kinds of stuff. Um, and like, there's a, there's an analogous situation in the Lakanda jungle with the Zapatistas, which is that, you know, they, they're, it's really prime, uh, like farmland for coffee. And so like one of the things that you can do right now today is like hit up somebody from Sexta Grietas and order coffee from Zapatista farmers. And like that gets money to them so that they can like, you know, sustain themselves. Because we live in, we live in the world that we live in. Um, but um, this question about like direct democracy is really interesting to me because like I for a long like I'm very new to anarchism. Um, I you know my my story kind of like it was incoherent before 2020 and then in 2020 obviously shit hit the fan um, and I pretty quickly wound up and oh I'm I'm an anarchist I just didn't know it before. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then in, in trying to like actually like come to terms with what that means and really engage with the idea of being an anarchist, one of the first ideas that I landed on was this idea of direct democracy. I always thought that that was an anarchist thing. Um, and then 
when I started actually organizing with with you guys in Milwaukee, when I actually started like being in a place where there were other anarchists around in numbers, <laughs> um, that was something that was uh, contentious. It was like people were uh, loath loath to use that word democracy. Um, I I think because of the connotation with liberal democracy. Um, and so maybe it's one of these things where like, you know, much like a smartphone is not really a phone, direct democracy is not really democracy. Right. <laughs> um, and it's like, it's one of these things that's very, like, it's too, I, I keep, this is, these are my words. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to like make, make this seem like I'm representing other people. Um, but I would consider this one of these things that's too important to have just one name. Um, because like you're talking about history in the Philippines that again is my blind spot. Um, I understand that it's not a blind spot for you for obvious reasons. Um, but uh, it's really interesting to me that there's like this history in the Philippines of, of, of like, you know, theory around direct democracy um, at the same time as there's like all kinds of indigenous history that seems to be rooted in the same idea. It's just got all these different names <laughs> and that's fucking beautiful. Like that's so inspirational to me. Yes, I it's uh, that's the part that I don't know that frustrates me more than um seems beautiful. It makes me yeah, I get frustrated and angry because yeah, like the thing that it's it's not that those things didn't work back before. They were working in fact very pretty well. well. <laughs> um pretty pretty good. Um and and you know, you know, colonization really and and imperialist um, desires is what is what killed those those communities and um, yeah so like getting it, it's just like a, a really a way to get back to where we were before the white people <laughs> ruined everything um, and but yeah like so yeah I mean I I really appreciate like you know I I think that like that difference in reaction actually speaks volumes um because like i'm you know for for listeners who might not know me i'm a white person <laughs> and like you know for, for i i and i'm i i identify as non-binary but I've, all, I've also like presented most of my life pretty masculine i still present pretty masculine and so like i can't i can't just throw off that kind of um what is the word i'm trying to think of privilege i can't throw off that privilege um and like i often struggle is the wrong word but i but i i have this thing where like when something seems new to me that i i interpret that as just being new <laughs> and and it's not it's 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 like, it's like <laughs> you know people have been thinking about this for literally as long as we've had humans <laughs> yeah i guess um that that brings me back into some of the zine and i was like you what you mentioned sort of made me want to go and run over to the, I think it's in the second essay, but yeah, like one, the, some of, you know, many of the things that we're, we're we've talked about in terms of like organizing across um, identities or even like o from o across oceans um, is like a separation of, you know, as a white person, you do have to like kind of let go or, say you know let's not talk think about my my identity as a white person or whatever and like what does he say Alston says white anarchists deal with being the best white anti-racist allies you can we need you and you need us 
but we will do this shit without you. And I think that's like, yeah, that's just like, I don't know, speaks to what you're saying is like, you can be involved in all of these things, but it's not, you You have to be involved without your identity. I That's sort of how I see it. Yeah. Or, or, or like, at least not the identity of whiteness. Sure. Like yeah, cult- cultural yeah. identity, ethnic identity, something like that. Yeah. Or like you have to think about your ethnic identity in a different way. I don't know. I'm still wrapping my head around that. But I, but, but like, but I do want to zero in on on what you said or what Austin said about um, we will do this shit without you. Like that is that's something that I have to continue. Like I'm still kind of trying to break out of the mold of trying to like do things by owning them and instead just do things by being a part of them, not passively, like very actively. But, you know, I, I can't just go to like a, a community of color and be like, this is the way you should do things. Right. You should you should do anarchism. Cause that's, just, that's just colonizer <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's like, I, I mean, in my my opinion, that's why I have never, you know, I also had not used the word anarchist to just de- to describe my um, whatever my ideology or political whatever um, specifically because like of how I understood that uh, sect of people to to exist and it didn't feel um, it didn't it didn't feel like it fit I but I you know I I love that Austin is an anarchist and I love how he talks about anarchism and recognizes and points out that like anarchism is something that is everyone sees as just being like a space for those dirty white um, punk kids and stuff. And yeah, those, those types of people often um, come across or come off as, you know, I don't know, in, sensitive or not caring of what you have to say or things like that which is which is generally not the case I I don't think that that's often true I think there are a lot of anarchists who are just like anarchist by uh by the word and not anarchist by the deed but um those who propaganda of the deed Anarchism of the deed. No, yeah, so, like, but <laughs> those who are active anarchists, like, act- actively uh, living their life and trying to um, employ the, the things that we believe, um, I think those people are, one, n- never uh, sensationalized <laughs> for the work that they do, and two, like, the the opposite of, of how I've felt about about things that definitely welcoming warming and um interested in hearing what uh, different perspectives are are at play in any type of situation um yeah i mean this is a this is a hill that i've died on many many times um but like i you know i i get very frustrated with people who just want to read like theory and then cite all the names of these dead white people yeah um like i will never read marx i've never read marx. you mean like I, I you mean like how you yeah exactly yeah exactly <laughs> but like yeah no no no. i'm really glad that you brought that up because that's something that kills me every time i do that you know what i mean so like to talk about individual figureheads i know that there's a need for it 
but I hate doing it. <laughs> and like, I, you know, there, there are people, um, there, there are people who talk about Bookchin in the same way that people talk about Marx. Um, just as like my background is in physics and I talk about this a lot. Uh, there, there's like a fucking cult of personality around like public intellectuals like Einstein. Um, and like, you know, just all kinds of people who really in their life were monsters. Um, and so it's not, it's not that like Einstein is whatever. There are other, there's bigger <laughs> fish to fry than Albert Einstein, but like, but like, it's, it's this thing of like, why are we fucking focusing on individual people when like, how, why are you reading, uh, Peter Kropotkin and not talking about like the indigenous people of North America? Like I, that, that's the thing that really bothers me. And like, there's no, this, this is a personal, this is a personal pet peeve, but it's just like one of those things where I don't know what the solution is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough because, yeah, you want to, like, you know, these people have very nicely and cleanly thought, had, they, I think about it as they've had, they had the luxury at that time to be, um, you know, thinking about philosophizing about how, how these things have existed in the past and they are the ones who are writing it down. I think, I personally don't think that Bookchin just like, was like, ah, yes, light bulb idea. I'm going to now, you know, lay it out for you. I think that it, what he describes comes from a place of having listened and learned and um, absorbed practices that existed before history, like written history existed. Um, And so, you know, oftentimes I'll talk about a, a specific subject and we'll just mention like, oh, this person uh, was able to describe it in a way better than me. So if you want to learn more, you can check out what they've, what they've put down on paper. But I don't like, I, yeah, I agree with you. It's, I don't like to, I don't like to, or want to, or think that it can, should be, or is attributed to a specific person, like the idea itself. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a podcast that's also on the Channel Zero Network called Indigenous Action that people should absolutely yes, go and listen do. to. It is beautiful and lovely and amazing and incredible and just there, this this topic comes up a lot on that podcast. <laughs> I um yeah and there were some just some things that really impressed me with Alston's with Alston's essays. Um, this is not this part was not in the essay I asked you to read. Um, but I just wanted to quote quote what Alston was saying. And so he was sort of talking about how um, organizing spaces sometimes get exclusionary of people of color. And um, the, the question, he, he poses that, like, what we should always be working towards is... Um, is listening or wanting to know, wanting to hear and share our, what our differences are in our dreams, where we want things to go. He said these questions that he asked were, um, quote, wait, maybe we don't need to organize like that. Wait, the way you are treating people within the organization is oppressive. Wait, what is your vision? Would you like to hear mine? Um, those types of questions, I, I think, it's hard, you know, or to to organize among a varying group of people, but though you know those questions are essential and often overlooked. 
um, but I think, and it sounds to me like that is the, like, crux of how the Zapatistas and Rojava function, um, and that sounds really beautiful to me. Can you talk more about, um, how that's, how you've experienced that in, in the meetings and things that you've attended? Yes, 1000%. I'm so glad you asked this question, because this is, like, this, I think, gets to what I think is the most radical thing about these spaces. Um, so, like, Sexta Grietas is a predominantly brown group. Um, it's, like, it is, it is, it is the first time in my life that I've like worked in, that I've worked with people, um, where I was in the extreme minority of, of identities. Um, so like, I think that I, it, it, most of the meetings I've been to, I think that I'm, if not the only white person, like the only one of a very small handful of white people. <laughs> um, and that's never like, I never feel uncomfortable because of that. Um, you know, and maybe I should have the opportunity to feel more uncomfortable more often. <laughs> Um, but, I, but, I, but I've never felt uncomfortable in these spaces because of that. I've never felt like I was mistrusted. In fact, like, you, like in, in my experience, as soon as you walk in, you are placed with trust. Um, and it's not like, like there's, 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 there's this real body language around trusting people and just like, you know, not being in competition. So like, there's, there's no, there's no reason to be really suspicious of what, what people's motives are. And so like, by the time that I've received my first bit of criticism in this space, it didn't even feel like I didn't resist it at all. I was just like, oh yeah, that's a good, it's a good point. Um, and like, that's very different to me compared to a space like academia compared to a space like academia where, uh, criticism can be really violent and it can be really like, I don't know. Um, it can, it doesn't feel good to be criticized in academia. It feels very, very damaging. Um, yeah.
Um, so yeah, my la- my last question. I did want to just wrap it up here. Um, was going back to the the essay itself, and so this is specifically Alston referring to, um, you know, his experience in uh, participating in organizing with the Zapatistas or or in yeah in tandem. And so he his what he's saying is uh let's see um after all is said and done you've got a small clique of people who are really calling the shots I want to figure out how to make a Zapatista style revolution here in the United States that brings all of us into this picture how we are not erasing who we are but also respecting all our ways of fighting back and so. Um, I think this is something that you've already answered, but uh, in in an indirect way, what does that mean? Um, what does how we are, are how we are mean um, in terms of revolution and in these groups? Yeah, that's a really thoughtful question. Um, I'm going to try to give you a thoughtful answer. Um, because the Zapatistas actually themselves are very thoughtful about this. They, they, they're, they're very proactive because we're, you know, it's like, it's a very anarchisty thing to be like, you know, here's our idea, please steal it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they do not advise people to just copy the structure because that's very, sure. very specific to like Chiapas and like the culture of Chiapas and, and stuff like that. And so it's not as simple as, well, I just want to do exactly the Zapatistas here. I want to have caracoles and I want to do, yeah, that's not the answer. But what is the answer is to take or, or what is involved in the answer, because I don't have the answer, um, is to take stock of what we do have and the kind of because like we notice that like we've already been talking about the idea that direct democracy um, is too important to have just one name. And so like there's a long history on this continent of uh, indigenous peoples who have been doing things like this for millennia and are doing it today. Um um, but also in parallel with that, there's like groups like the, the Black Panthers, um, who have a long history of organizing in, in black communities, um, and doing like, you know, school lunch programs and stuff like that. We need to be following those models, like lead by obeying, um, is ultimately where I'm going to land with this question. Um, and to just kind of like, to, to just kind of gently encourage people to look more into this and be active, um, because like, don't just receive the, the answer passively but be active with it because this is a seed that needs to be cultivated. Um, any final thoughts or um, other things that you wanted to share with our audience? Sure. Um, so there's a three things, I guess. And so the first thing is you asked, you said earlier that you were interested in kind of like my experience just kind of coming into these spaces. And I think that like the one thing that I want to say is like with sex, grietas especially um, is that it's really it's been revolutionary to me to just walk into a space and just be trusted. Um, I've never experienced that in my life. I've, it's, it's incredible. It's just really amazing. And I, it's just very restorative to my soul. I, 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 I wish everybody could do something like that. Like that, that alone uh, makes me want to, to realize this in America more than anything else. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And for people who, who maybe do want to, follow hopefully after hearing from you and listening to to this podcast episode um people you know will be encouraged to to try to or motivated to to try to reach out and um and participate in 
the organizing. So maybe do you have advice on how to, how you got that started or how you what went into getting connected? Right, definitely. And so there's there's I don't want to share too much information on air because uh, I don't have I don't have consent to, and so there might be like obsequy concerns. Um, but there there's a link. I think it's I think it's literally sexdagretasdelnorte.com or .org or something. Um, I'll find the link and share it with you so you can put it in the, in the show notes. Um, but on that page, there's all kinds of like how to get in touch. Uh, there's like, I'm sure there's like an email. Um, there's also like, if you, if you, if you want to give financial support, um, you can order coffee from Zapatista farmers. It's delicious. I've had it myself. It is expensive to get it here, um, which is the one thing. <laughs> um, but it, that also kind of depends on where you are. Like it's expensive to get it to Milwaukee. It might not be expensive to get it to Arizona or whatever. Um, that was actually the second thing I wanted to say. And then the third thing is emergency committee for Rojava. Um, we meet pretty openly. Um, there's, there's also, uh, there's also a website for that. I think it's, I think it's, uh, emergency committee for Rojava.org, but it, I, I'll find a link and give it to you. Um, and so we have, uh, regular book clubs once a month. We're actually talking about Rojava and the Zapatistas right now. We just had one on Saturday. Um, and, there's also some organizing calls that we have. We're trying to do this. I mean, this isn't going to be to everybody's taste, and it's not to it's not even to everybody in our organization's taste. Um, but we're we're trying to do like a I don't know if you want to call it an influence campaign, but just try to lobby our representatives in in the U.S. Uh, for recognition of Rojava, um, because then it, because right now like their vaccine doses um, and a lot of their water supply is being fucked over by people in Turkey and the Assad regime. Like a lot of the vaccine doses are going to the Assad regime um, because they don't recognize like these different parts of Syria. And so uh... that would, yeah, that's really fucked. And that's like one thing that would be a tangible outcome is to just have recognition for that so that the vaccine doses can go to the right place. Um, yeah. But those, so those are, those are the two organizations. And like I said, I'll make sure that you have links. Great. Yeah. Thank you. So it's easy. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say it's easy, but if, you know, it all, all it takes is reaching out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like we're, we're very open people. And so like, if you're interested, that's all it takes is interest. Awesome. Um, and then are people able to contact you directly if they, um, if they have more questions and, or want to get involved or want to, I'm not on social media. Don't find me on the internet. Um, but I will, I'll, I'll share my email and people can kind of like hit me up there. And if you, if you send me an email, I'll share like by signal number and stuff. Perfect. Yeah. So think, thanks again. Uh, this was great. Well, I assumed that it was going to be long. I did not expect it to be this long. Oh, it's always so thanks this long. a lot, Alex. Yeah, I talk a lot. <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> the Lit Supply Podcast is a member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts. Here's a jingle from another member. I'm going to make those pompous academics regret kicking out such a genius. Deciding to build my lab and do my research. The Time Talks Podcast. Have you ever stared at a 500-page book and wish you could just talk to the author about their ideas instead? If so, the Time Talks Podcast, part of the Channel Zero Network, is for you. Where we discuss history, politics, music, and art with an anti-authoritarian and anarchist perspective. The Time Talks Podcast. What's this light? The Time Talks Podcast. For the second half of this episode, we'll hear from Devin, 
who is a captive of the Wisconsin Department of Corrections at Oshkosh CI. Devin and I will be speaking on the second and third essays written by Elston. All calls other than properly placed attorney calls may be monitored and recorded. Thank you for using IC Solutions. You may begin speaking now. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Okay, great. One of the things that I think I really loved in this in this particular Zoom was when, like, Alfred was talking about the, like, apprehensive towards working with white anarchists and how, like, the difference between people of color and white people, like, leads to alienation or, or a desire to segregate. And this, like, that particular thing, like, creating our own space, like, that is exclusive to, like, exclusive as in not in, inviting to white people, I think it's something that I see a lot happening here in Milwaukee, um, not just, like, on the organizing side, but, like, in the economic side, like, they just announced um, they're going to be putting up a, basically, a black uh, center for the arts, so performing arts center and, you know, gallery space and, and things like that. And I think the people, I've heard white people in Milwaukee being all upset about it, like, oh, well, you're just further segregating. And I just, I think it's funny that white people just expect that, if they are, if they invite people of color into their space, people of color are just supposed to like graciously enter that space and feel comfortable there and stuff. And I don't know, yeah. How does some of that lead or feel to you? How about this feel uh, segregation? Yeah, well, like self segregation. I think like, you know, I think that happens in the prisons too. Where, like people self segregate based on. Oh, yeah. Well, from back, I, I would say from like, I'm gonna say back then, way back in the, I'm gonna say the 60s and 70s and stuff like that. I try to, I try to imagine myself in those times and to now. I just want to, I think way, way back then, you had to be real calculated. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Calculated. It's working with other oppressed people. You know what I'm saying? White anarchists. You know what I'm saying? In general, but still you got to be careful not to be taken advantage of too. Right. That damage your credibility. Saying damage credibility of the movement you're trying to do. But like me personally, I would have worked here. I would have worked for all kinds of people. <laughs> I, I just in my in my in my favorite movie, I remember uh, Malcolm X played. You know what I'm Played by Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. Incredible film. I just remember the scene when Denzel Washington was going to go speak at the uh, at the college, and then I the young white girl came up to him. And she asked how she how could she help. You know, yeah. he just, just dismissed it without hesitation and said that you can't. But saying later on in the same movie, there's a worldly transformation and development. He realized that in order to attain an ultimate goal, he had to accept. The structural foundation has to be solid. And, and so, yeah, that's the whole truth today. But today, you know, we get, and always, you know what I'm saying, throw us a bone or something where they try to. Highlight, you know what I'm saying, an individual person. But you always have to be mindful, you know what I'm saying, because the shade is always, it's always changing stuff, you know what I'm saying, so we got to try to, you know what I'm saying, stay in the light, find different ways, you know what I'm saying, to stay in the light, stay out, stay out that shade, stay out this storm. Yeah, I mean, I feel you, I, I agree, like, I think it's really hard to trust some people, especially, like, especially people that have 
specific groups that have like not proven that they are should be you should be suspicious of them, you know. Um, but I think it's really important to I agree with you. I think it's really important to work with anybody and and like yeah, that portrayal. I don't know if that's like um, in the movie if that if it's like accurate or whatever because if from all I knew about Malcolm, he you know there were all sorts of groups that he worked with and would preach and practice that and but but like the I don't know I think this is important the idea of you have your group and your group is the people that choose to be there and identify with each other no matter how that identity um like like, you know it, it breaks down or whatever and then you you take your group and you partner with other groups it's not like individual to individual you still have your group of people that you trust and know and work well with and you know that you're all uh, coming from the same like value system I think that's like a very important um, like a uh, distinction to make it's not like we're, I don't I don't imagine going out and organizing and just seeing like a rainbow room full of people um, one one of each person I see that large groups of people oh. No sense. Being oppressed is it's multifaceted. So it's all kind of things that's oppressing different kind of people. There's people be passionate about them. Exactly. Like, we gotta team up, like you know what I'm saying, Captain Planet. So, but we still have to have we have each different, you know what I'm saying, groups. So if you got, you know what I'm saying, people over here that feel like, you know what I'm we don't have equal pay for women, you know what I'm saying, and sports and stuff like that. You gotta have a, a leader, you know what I'm saying, that's gonna be the voice, you know what I'm saying, for that. We still all gotta come together. So if you got, you know what I'm saying. Racism, and you got this portion of you know the criminal justice system and stuff like that. You still gotta have those advocates, you know what I'm We still gotta team up. And we gotta mm-hmm. sit down at the round table or whatever and make sure that we all on the same page. We move it as one, though. Because if not, then they're gonna find something, some type of, you know what I'm saying, kink in our armor and exploit that and then discredit everything that's going on. Right. And that's why we still gotta come together and have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And they they've been trying to do that specifically in the you know here in Milwaukee targeting people in Milwaukee um, since you know the all the uprisings happened in 2020. It's been pretty you know divisive. Like we've seen a lot of groups of people break out from we had you know hundreds of people involved uh, marching every day every day, and um, it's kind of like been that. You know, the the other side, they've got a really tried and true method of breaking apart those groups by by pressing on those small issues where on those small issues where we differ and 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 when we when we always that that like forces the people in the group to like stop thinking about the things that we are all in agreement on and start thinking about just what um what matters to them. I think that it's a really effective. Uh, tactic that they use, and like I want to ask, like, what do you think, and how how do you think that groups of people and people organizing today can, you know, fight past that or not not fall victim to to getting you know pulled apart like that? You have to, uh, you know, everybody concerned with obviously public opinion and stuff like that, so you have to take it, you know, what I'm saying, to the to the mass media. Even though, you know what I'm saying, we know the media is slanted and stuff like that, but you have to take it there. And you have to hit them, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, pockets. If it's not affecting their monetary gain, then ain't nobody really going to matter. Mm-hmm. All they see it's not going to happen to them. If it's not happening to them, so it's not going to happen to them. 
But we have to take it to the to the news. You know what I'm saying? Print, paper everywhere. Because, like, right now things are going to walk. We're not here that way. I mean, I'm in Oshkosh, so I'm in Northeast Wisconsin. So we're not getting number walking news on the regular stuff like that at all. Okay. The only time we get something is negative. So if we not mm-hmm. we walking down the city, you know what I'm saying, getting a set of news out of there, then we're not hearing about it at all. So we can't even, when they're here, we, we don't know if we got real support systems, you know what I'm saying, to talk to our actors out there, to team up with them, and we trying to, you know what I'm saying, change what's going on. Mm-hmm. What was that? What was 2020 like for you in in the prisons um, while all that was happening on the outside? Was were people able to like express their support or even come together and talk, have have discussions about what's going on and, and things like that? You said as far as you said in 2020, as far as what? As far as the protesting, Black Lives Matter movement, um, uh, and <laughs> I had conversations uh, in here with. People that grew up, you know what I'm saying, not around, you know what I'm saying, people of color and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? So I got a, a, a one individual that was like, he in his 30s and a, uh, in, a, in a middle age, you know what I'm saying, white woman, and she didn't grow up around no black people and stuff like that. So, you know, when George Floyd got killed and Ryan Taylor got killed, it's like, they didn't understand. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking, and I actually had her say that, you know what I'm saying, that she had her guns ready, like, she was ready for a war, like, like, damn, what kind of shit is that? And you were uh, an employee. Right. You know what I'm Like, so they like, she's just ready for war. And they can't understand how it's wrong. So their thought process is, if you don't like it over here in this country, then you should, you know what I'm saying, go back. Just fight. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. here, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm wrestling with myself, like, I should smack the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> And it's crazy, it wasn't really no real uproar here. You know what I'm saying? The Wisconsin prison system is not how, you know what I'm saying, the media sensationalized, you know what I'm saying, prisons mm-hmm. out of California, Texas, and stuff like that. So it wasn't even no fights breaking out over, you know what I'm saying, things like that that you would think would be happening here. Yeah, my my sister said, like, it was, it was real wacky because, um, you know, like, COVID was also happening at the same time so like what what really do you want to prioritize <laughs> like I don't know I think that was happening so what she talked about one of the things that she she shared with me that was happening was like um people you know they were giving out um the disposable masks and, and that um to prisoners and uh this was like in June something like that and um, and people were, were getting to writing Black Lives Matter on their masks and put it on the front of their masks and stuff. And, um, yeah, the guards was, it was really ridiculous. Like, okay, so you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to go outside your cell without a mask on. But then here are these guards with their mask on their chin telling, telling prisoners you got to take that off because, um, it, you can't have that writing on it. And the, and the prisoners literally were saying, okay, you can come here and snatch it off my face then, but then what are you going to do? Because I'm not, I'm not allowed to be out here without a mask, so you can either let me go and wear this mask, or you could come, come up here and snatch it off my face, and then you're going to be in trouble because you took my mask off. <laughs> so, I think like that, I, I thought of that as like, that's a protest, right? Right there, that's a way of exercising whatever Tiny rights that you have, um, you know, to be able to get put, you know, push that in some way. Was, was anything like that happening there for you? For you? It was. It was a. It was an individual. You know, what I'm saying he had a. 
he had old summer on, on his mask or something like that. Like last night, of course they told him he had to uh, take it off. He like you said, he, he wasn't taking it off. Mm-hmm. He took him, of course they cut quite a white shirt, he took him to the hole or whatever. He was supposed to leave on the back door for the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter type stuff. And they called that. You know what I'm saying? Disruptive conduct and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So even then, when the COVID stuff was going on, you know, we had a, a, a few individuals on one unit that was, you know what I'm saying, refusing to lock in because they felt like they wasn't getting, you know what I'm saying, the proper care and stuff like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They were giving us showers, you know what I'm saying, every other two days and stuff like that, and every other day for, you know what I'm saying, sanitation stuff. You just got a vodka in the cell. So, you know, so the few individuals, they were calling their stuff. Of course, they isolated the people they felt that. You know what I'm saying? It was the ring leaders, and they end up, you know what I'm saying, some different institutions and stuff like that, too. the Black Liberation Army, and we struggle to free all political prisoners and prisoners of war. Um, he starts out with my favorite line, power to the people. And I think that this is actually a zine that is um, him speaking at uh, an event. He does a lot of speaking um, nowadays and things like that. So I believe this is like um, basically him, uh, a transcription of him talking. Right, right off of that, one of my favorite lines in that in this vision is the like uh, one of the first couple of paragraphs. It says it's not only about the 45, but not without it. So we're talking about the Black Liberation Army, and I just think that's like a very truthful and honest thing that you know I feel something we could use today in today's revolution. I always wonder about this, and I feel like this, you know, we're sitting here in 2022, Biden, President America, the thought, like the person who authored the 1994 crime bill that just made mass incarceration what it is today, and I wonder, like, is part of what, you know, the problem that we have today in not having something like the Black Liberation Army, um, because all the people that have been out in the streets and 
you know, are able to wield guns and protect their communities in that way, um, are stuck in prison. Most definitely. You know, it's, it's, it's ever it's ever changing too. Though, so. it, it, it mass incarceration and stuff like that, man, it's hard to get engaged on it. And then you have people who they just constantly, constantly locking people up that they will. If they're not locking them up, they kill them. Mm-hmm. But so our leaders back in the day are always just trying to discredit their credibility with all kind of, you know what I'm saying, lies. Or they just might even implant somebody in there to destroy your credibility and stuff like that. So nobody want to be associated with anybody like that. Mm-hmm. And I can just finish, like, even the, uh, was that Frank Diddy out of Milwaukee? and yeah. He had his allegations against him. I'm not saying that, you know what I'm saying, that stuff didn't happen, but, you know what I'm saying, those type of things that, you know what I'm saying, that the CIA and FBI, you know what I'm saying, they plant just discredit people, they see they gain the momentum and stuff like that, and they see they can reach a, a wide audience of people, so they'll do those kind of things. So when they do that, that it takes the focus off what's really supposed to be going on. Mm-hmm. Making, they're making an example of them in the opposite way um, of people like Lupita Nyong'o. Like, Lupita is a, the, um, is a positive, but still, you know, it's still all racist, but it's looked at as po- a positive racism versus, you know, taking those, those individuals who are standing out and making an, a negative example of them to deter, um, to, to deter people from stepping out. See, but also too, man, we we have to start putting pressure on people that's in a in a in a place of uh, a power too. Like we have uh, a criminal justice reform, you know, saying that, that Van Jones is supposed to be, you know, saying one of the main advocates for that Meek Mills want to mm-hmm. name to and stuff like that. But it's that they only come through when it's some making sensationalized, you know, what I'm saying and muster whatever they're trying to do. Some of the people around and get people out. It's only where. Because I, I, I wrote to my contact, you know, I, I ain't getting no response. I had my cousin DM, you know what I'm saying, Van Jones, I ain't getting no response to him. So they're not really just coming and getting those in the people that's in the, in the, in the, in the puzzle. Right. So that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's a tax write-off. I mean, at the end of the day, they're still going to get a huge write-off on their taxes when they when they put their money towards something that something that speaks out, you know, in that way. So it's always going to come at a benefit to them, you know, those people. And and it's, and it's really hard because, you know, the only reason that they have a platform in the first place is because they're famous and they have that money and they got, um, they, you know, they play the, the system that, you know, that a lot of people aren't getting that benefit from the same kind of treatment. So do you know what the word lumping proletariat means, lumping? I think, I think it's, it's, it's credited to uh Karl Marx. Yep. Say number two designate people to lower class some will call them trashy or because they'd be unproductive or something like that and then you know, people like mm-hmm. they say alienated and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I always have like a hard time with that word and like I really don't necessarily understand what it what what type of people it's meant to refer to. Um, like, I guess they talk about it as, like, Marx has learned this, I've always, they've used that word as, like, a derogatory term or something, and to refer to people who, like, aren't true revolutionaries um, in their, like, mindset or whatever. Um, but I 
I don't know. I think in you know Austin was pointing out that like the Black Liberation Army and and Black Panther Party like saw those people, the working class people, the people that don't have time to be reading theory and books on Karl Marx and aren't you know um, are educated in that way as the people to organize with. Um, the, is that true? At least that's my understanding. Can you can you corroborate that? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, uh, the Black Liberation Army and you know, saying, Black Panther Prisoners. I mean, it, it only makes sense for them to for us to team up uh, against the oppressors since they want to categorize us as uh, open or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I. It's, I wouldn't focus on, on saying what the media describes as working class people so we can identify us as being, we've been isolated. Mm-hmm. But once, we, once we come together, then we'd be able to focus on the working class people to come together to face our people that's holding us back. So, like, in this, in this essay, um, Ashanti Austin was kind of going back and talking about, you know, this past action that they had done to get some prisoners out of the Manhattan House of Detention. What was, like, going through your head when you was reading that? Did you, have you ever heard of, like, that action in history or whatever? Did you know about that? I mean, in those times, I'm pretty sure speaking of those times, you know, you had those extreme, extreme moves. Like, if you if you call, let's say, George Jackson went out there in California, like, he came down there to the courthouse, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Shooting and, and trying to kill people, you know what I'm saying? He got himself killed, but he was trying to get the people out of there because he knew it was getting railroaded. He knew right. it was up against it was trumped up, or them guys have been in there too long when they should have been got out. You know what I'm saying? And, and you get thinking like that now, you know what I'm saying? 50 years later. But right. now it has to be sophisticated, though. We can still use those kind of measures and stuff like that, but it has to be sophisticated. It doesn't have to be with straight physical force. Like, we got to come and just overdose something like some movie or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Take those screen messages and have somebody just constantly calling and calling and making these media, you know what I'm saying, pushes and stuff like that, putting pressure on these people. You know what I'm saying? You kept us out of their house or whatever. You know what I'm saying? They place of work where something actually has to get done.
talking about like the different tactics or different ways that um people can you know exert force and power over against the system the oppressors and you had mentioned like that uh just to paraphrase with what you were saying like that the like a violent act like literally breaking busting into a jail and trying to use like power tools and things like that to to get specific prisoners out is like equivalent to today to driving the mass media around um, a, a specific issue and putting calls in to call you know to ra- raise awareness and to get um light a fire under like the people that are can do anything about the about the issue i think that's a great, very interesting point to make that it's just as um that it could could be could be used just as to be just as powerful as as breaking in because yeah, you got to think it, like who out there really willing to die for it you know what i'm saying like 50 60 years ago you know, so you have people that are willing to die for it to come in you know what i'm saying to break our brothers and sisters out now you know what I'm saying? It's more, it's some more financial and stuff like that. So it's better than the same equivalent, though. So if you do try to do something, you you put at risk. You know what I'm saying? Your financial stability and stuff like that. So if you willing to go the distance, you know what I'm saying? It would be to put yourself at risk. If you got a business and then you defending, you know what I'm saying? People, I'm saying mass murders and rapists or whatever, who you going to defend and you trying to get out? They gonna take that. And try to destroy your business, you know what I'm saying? Saying they don't want to deal with you. So it's all about, you know what I'm saying, the capital. Now, so we're attacking the pockets, you know what I'm saying, of DLC or whoever working this, you know what I'm saying, all these institutions and stuff like that. Then that'll be more, you know what I'm saying, effective. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that's been trying. I've, I've had a hard time with it this last couple of years, but I think that that's a tactic that's been that's been all over the news with when we're talking about police defunding the police um though i mean i will say i don't think that i um, milwaukee definitely didn't defund the police i'm sorry what what is that i'm saying what is what is what exactly is that defunding the um taking the financial resources uh, that are currently being invested or allocated to the police and reinvesting them in resources that actually help the community and reduce crime by by adding those types of services and resources, you know, housing, food, um, public transportation, you know, assistance with education, those those types of um civil services. And but and I think like that the like um argument and putting that out there really has you know, has done things to scare the police out in the public. Although, I, you know, I don't think I, that. I get, I, see, I get the foundation. It's just, you know, so I'm just playing devil's advocate because mm-hmm. people say, as far as that, that you have to be specific about what things that you want to know, say, defund and stuff like that. You yeah. Know, they, say, they try to take it and then they run with it, man. Oh, they say, oh, defund the police, and then they just want to make it seem like you're trying to just strip all the budgets and all that stuff like that, and you, then you mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. Use the police and stuff like that. So we right. be more specific in, in what we're saying. Like, they're using all this money to just all kind of stuff they don't need to. They can just, you know what I'm saying, we just, we just, we just uh, redistribute it. Yeah, where it needs to go. Yeah, and I think, like, that's the same argument that should be made to, towards the DOC. There's, they're, they're about to build a geriatric prison here in Wisconsin, a geriatric prison for, for, patient, for prisoners that are too old and too infirmed, you know, to be able to t- 
be cared for in the regular facilities. Instead of doing that, why couldn't we just let them out and have them placed in, in public facilities that are funded? You know, um, it's, it's things like that that should that could happen and would cost our would cost taxpayers less money um, and would ultimately be more humane for the person you know the people that are that are going through it and, and you know Wisconsin is not unique but it's a special situation with all of our old law prisoners and and these and these old timers that are sitting here on 25 30 50 years when they should have been out um, you know years ago based on the crimes you know that, that they were you know charged with um but that's been in the works you know for for years and and that's the way that you know the legislative process works is like they they campaign and they um petition for this stuff years on out you know in advance and the general public doesn't hear about it until it's you know almost too late to to do something um and that's by design that's all it's all by design um, even just going back to the term like lumpen, lumpen proletariat, um, they want to keep us in that zone of being uneducated and uninformed so that we don't, and struggling. It's, it's built into the, you know, the idea of struggle in the first place is to keep people working so hard just to, just to live, just to be able to get by that they don't have any time to exercise their rights. Or get involved in the system to you know, try to make a point of all of the problems that exist. Back to the essay. So I'm going to kind of read a quote here. This is pretty far down um, the, from from Alston. And not just you say that, and then after all is said and done, you got a small clique of people who are really calling the shots. I want to figure out how to make a Zapatista-style revolution here in the United States that brings all of us into this picture, how we are, not erasing who we are, but also respecting all of our ways of fighting back. What does Alston mean by having a revolution, how we are, like that, that phrase, how we are? What do you think that means? I, mean, I, I took it. I took it as multiple ways. You know what I'm saying to fight, fight oppression. You know what I'm saying as we are as, as individuals, groups. So like we were saying earlier, so if you got a particular group that's, if they want to attack, you know what I'm saying. If they want to march. You know what I'm saying. That group, they can march how they are. That's how they feel they most effectively. They can march like that. So if you got to have people that want to be just sitting, doing the emails and calling, you know what I'm saying, doing the phones after whatever like that, they need those kind of group of people that's gonna do that. I'm saying if you want people that's going to be, I'm saying, on Twitter or Facebook, whatever you want to call it, and, and they doing all that. So that's how you are. Whatever you feel you're most effective, and, and that's how I took it. And it don't really matter, you know what I'm saying, how you identify, you know what I'm saying, who you are, or, or nationality, or rich or poor. So it's yeah. Just gonna pick up. Although, I guess I, I would say I feel like if there is any difference, the difference that I always feel in this like a capitalist society is that, you know, we are different from the rich. The rich have, you know, interests. They are invested in keeping themselves rich, and therefore that means there are concessions that they will make in in order to to continue being rich, and those often always have to do with exploiting someone else below. You know, but there are rich people that do, I don't know, I guess I would say leverage their money and their, and their status 
But I've never seen a revolutionary. Uh, I've never seen a revolutionary that was a millionaire. I don't think I know of one. Just, they just gonna throw their money around where they get the tax write off and stuff like that. They're not gonna be on the on the front lines, which you know, say they wouldn't. They, I don't. They shouldn't be, because then if they happen to, you know, what I'm saying, get killed or something, then people will sit back and say, oh, they were stupid for it. You know what I'm saying? So they wouldn't be on the front lines. Mm-hmm. This, we have to find, you know, what I'm saying, a leader within our amongst us ourselves to that can break break the ice and to be able to, you know what I'm saying, interact with them and to, you know what I'm saying, utilize and team up with, you know what I'm saying, their financial stuff like that. So mm-hmm. we have to be. Um, my last question, I just want to get to the to the last question here for the for the essay. So we, we've talked about this a little bit. He he talked about his how he struggled with reading this book called Queer Theory, like it was that it was challenging to him in terms of like his perspective and things like that. And that like as we work and as we uh, collaborate with each other across identities, across groups, you know, things like that, we learn more about the world and like our understanding broadens um we've become more inclusive and i just like wanted to ask if there were if, if there are times or that you've experienced that and and uh working with somebody that you normally wouldn't have worked with where you grew and and felt broadened well when i saw i mean i've been incarcerated so i haven't really had the opportunity to interact you know what I'm saying, with people, you know what I'm saying, different lifestyles. Can you think of a time when, like, there was a problem um, in the prison and, yeah, you had to try to work with other prisoners to to try to get that problem solved? Okay, I really, it's, it's crazy because I don't know, I don't understand, like, this, I was and I was a great big question, mm-hmm. if we had issues, you know what I'm saying, we, we came together, like, we were in the dorm, like, mm-hmm. the barracks. But we was, it was more, I was more so with guys, you know what I'm saying, that understood, you know what I'm saying, the, the long-term effects of mm-hmm. what And shit, we'd get structured. We'd come in there, we'd all be, you know what I'm saying, we like 20 deep, whatever, but we knew that we had to have one person, you know what I'm saying, talking. We couldn't one have person. multiple people talking. You can't mm-hmm. have everybody in the background saying this and saying that when we do get, you know what I'm saying, administration coming down and talk to us. So we had one mm-hmm. individual talk I'm saying it was well spoken or whatever. He can go and say that because you got somebody in the background saying something, then they gonna take any little thing that's not right and try to apply. You know what I'm saying? One of the bogus DLC rules that way it right. keeps everything going on. Mm-hmm. Around a, a, a lot of people, then you can come together and do something. But like here in this institution, I start where I'm at. I don't understand. It's just everybody for themselves. Yep. No, ain't no cohesion just going on in here. So what? Yeah. So like, what? What were some of the things that would happen, or that you what that you guys were able to come together for um, over at GBCI? Well, I was at uh, uh, Green Bay. Well, it was like storage space. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, food. You know, food is is something so minor, but you know the stuff coming in, the portion small. You know, so if you ain't got nothing, then you depending on that stuff. And the portion small is cold, so we. Saying came together on that, got the you know one saying one of the head ladies come through. She came through and talked to us, and she made a couple changes and stuff like that. But I know a minute ago, it was just a, a guy's one of the whole bunch of rules in, in Green Bay, and I'm talking about there was a whole little list going around about demands and stuff that they wanted. And they actually, you know, what I'm saying shut the institution down. They won't do it on lockdown. We were in lockdown for like five months. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? People got to be willing to sacrifice that kind of stuff. And they have made some changes, you know what I'm saying, to wreck. You know what I'm saying? Because you in there, you want to wreck. Especially in Green Bay, because you locked in really 23 and 1 as you got school. Mm-hmm. So you would have at least 23 hours a day. Sure. So Cassius was saying, sent them out a petition, people signed it, and all of a sudden they submitted it. You know what I'm saying? But eventually, uh, they, they figured out, you know what I'm saying, who, you know what I'm saying, put it together. They took some of the top people around, but we ended up, you know what I'm saying, getting what we wanted, though. Right. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, I also wanted to ask, like, you know, it's Black History Month. Are there some unknown black revolutionaries, black um, legends that we don't hear about? that often that you wanted to tell our audience to look into? Uh, well, we can, we can give a shout-out to uh, Robert Williams out of North Carolina. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I know you know about him, but he was uh-huh. one of the most you know influenced uh, the, uh, the Black Panther Party. So if he wanted you know to figure out how the Black Panther Party got you know saying, some of their foundation, they can check into Robert Williams. Uh, we have a couple of um, writings, so we might actually do some Robert Williams stuff in the future. Yeah, we'll love to have you back on for that. The Milwaukee Lit Supply is a project distributing radical literature in the community and across the fences into Wisconsin prisons. If you would like to learn more about our project, get involved, or come on our podcast, go to our website at mkelitsupply.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at MKE Lit Supply, and even better is donating to support the work we do. Go to patreon.com forward slash MKE Lit Supply to become a monthly donor. You can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at MKE Lit Supply. Just as a reminder, this podcast is produced for you lovely listeners totally free. We collect the funds you give us solely to continue the work we do for our Zines to Prisoners project. 100% of the money you give is used to cover the cost of the project, mainly to purchase paper, ink, and envelopes that we need to get radical reading materials into the hands of prisoners. Not one of us, not even your favorite host, that's me, pockets even one single dollar. In fact, we're investing our own money and time to make sure no zine request goes unfilled. Please consider giving whatever you can, and if you can't give money, we do have tasks that can be done locally or remotely. Please just email me at podcast at mkelitsupply.com, and we'll connect you in whatever way you are called to support. Other projects our members are involved in include Abolish MKE, a news website that exposes the bad carceral shit happening in Wisconsin. Find it at abolishmke.com or on Instagram at abolish.mke. Black and Pink Milwaukee, a prisoner support nonprofit focusing on LGBTQ and HIV positive captives. Find them on Facebook at MKE Black and Pink and Forum for Understanding Prisons, a nonprofit doing research on Wisconsin prisons and advocacy for people held within. Visit prisonforum.org for more. Please share this podcast with others. We're available on Stitcher, Castbox, Spotify, Google, and iTunes. Please rate and subscribe. See you next month.